Song of Solomon, chapter 6. <laughs> now I should get turned to Song of Solomon, chapter 6. Okay, so if you were not uh, with us last week, Song of Solomon, chapter 5, we went over uh, basically the importance of um, immediate obedience when, when Christ puts something on your heart. And then we covered um, who is our Savior. So, sorry. So tonight we're going to jump into Song of Solomon chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee? So I wanted to, to read that, but then go back to chapter 5, verse 9. So uh, the first, basically, eight verses of chapter 5, the bride wasn't there when, when the groom came for her, right? Her door was locked, and then when she knew there was someone at the door, she was making excuses, like, I've already, I've already washed my feet. Do I want to get them dirty? Am I going to get up and put my coat on? Like, do I really want to get out of bed right now, basically? So, um, so then when she kind of decides in her own time that she's going to go answer the door, right, the groom is gone. And then she goes out into the streets, and she's trying to find the groom, and it's, you know, that, that picture of us that when God puts something on our heart and we don't, we don't obey right away, but then maybe later the opportunity is gone and we're like, oh, man, we blew it. So she's out looking for the, for the groom. And then in verse 9 is when the, the daughters of Jerusalem, from verse 8, they say, what is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? Because she was out asking, like, can you help me find my beloved? And they ask her, who is your beloved more than another beloved, right? And when we're looking at this through a devotional lens, we're not, we're, that's Jesus Christ. What is our beloved more than another beloved? There is no other figure in any religion on earth that is anything even close to like our beloved. And we work through that. And then the rest of this chapter, she works through who her beloved is. So when we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 6, now... You see, the daughters of Jerusalem are like, are, they're going, uh, okay, so where, where has your beloved gone? Where has he turned aside that we can come with you to find him, right? Because of the description, after they said, who's your beloved more than another? She just like unloads on him, right? And now they're like, they get it. They're like, oh, okay, then where is he? We want to go find him with you, okay? And the importance of that is leading others to Christ, to have that kind of zeal for our Savior, that when people have that question, how many times, it's not, it's not worded this way. I've never heard an unbeliever say, who is your beloved more than another beloved? <laughs> right? I've never heard that. But you know what I have heard? Yeah, I know. All religions think they have the right way. What makes yours right? Why is yours different than any other? Right? That's how it's posed today in 2020 by people that are scoffers, by people that don't believe. Right? Oh, there's so many religions. How are you sure yours is the right way? Well, you can see by the way that she described her beloved, she had convinced the daughters of Jerusalem, like, oh, then we want to come find him too, right? Do we have that kind of a heart for Jesus Christ? Do we have that kind of a love for Jesus Christ that when people ask, yeah, why is your religion different than any other, that by the time we're done talking, they're like, I need to find that guy. I need to find him too. Can I come with you to find him? Because that's what took place here. In Song of Solomon, 
That's how much the bride loved the groom. That's how much her heart beat for the groom, especially right on the heels of disobedience. And then you get that like, oh man, I blew it. You know, and you, you, you crave that intimacy with Christ that you, that you feel like, man, I really blew it. All right. It's, it's like, you know, how many countless stories do you hear of, of uh, you know, when you discipline children, the fellowship that you have right after that is just so sweet. Kids often want to like, they want to hug you. They want to be close to you. It's a natural response to chastening. It's a natural response when we've, when we've disobeyed and then it's dealt with to want to be close to the person that, that chastened you. It's very, very natural. And it's the same way with Jesus Christ. At least it should be. It should draw us closer to him and have that kind of a description. If you missed it last week, you can listen to it. It's uh, available on Spotify or, or Anchor. Um, you can check out what we worked through with that chapter last week. But the whole key here is to be leading others to Christ, to love him so much that when you talk about him, other people want to meet him. That's what happened here. Verse 2, she says, My beloved has gone down into his garden to the beds of spices to feed in the gardens and to gather lilies. The point here is Christ can be found right where we left him. Right? He's, he's in his garden. If you look just back in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, I am come into my garden, my sister, my spouse. And then that's when he tries the door and she doesn't answer. So where is he? He's right where you left him. Right? How many times have we wandered away I know you guys are very familiar with my story, but when I wandered away and I had no idea the way back, you know, you get so far out into that wilderness, you get so far out into the world, you're like, how did I even get here? I don't even know how to go back. When you finally do make your way back, he's right where you, right where you left, right where you left him, right? I'm in my garden. He's gone down into his garden because he doesn't go anywhere, right? We can run, we can run, we can run. And he says, nope, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. You know right where to find me because it's right where you left me. So she knows exactly where to go. The bride knows where to go to find Christ. We know where to go to find our groom. Verse 3, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. So the point here is we belong to each other. right? I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. That's because we are in Christ. Romans 8.1 says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Not only that, so we're in Christ, but Christ is in us. Romans 8.10, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness, right? He's ours, and we're his. That's the relationship that we have. We should never let go, ever. But when we do, we know where to find him. We know what the right thing to do is. It's often the hardest thing because we get caught up in the things that catch our eye, the things in the world, whatever it may be, whatever it may be, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, anything, a job, trying to, oh, you know, it's, we can disguise them as good things. And then, not that they're not good things, but, you know, oh, you know I really, I want to I wanna buy a house. That's not a bad thing, right? To have an investment, to have some equity, to be able to have... Have something that, that's yours. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. The problem is when it becomes the priority, right? We take our eyes off of him. So when we, whatever it may be, a job, pursuing a job, a career, it's not a bad thing. But when it's the priority, it is a bad thing. 
So we got to be careful. If we walk away, we know right where to find him because he's ours and we're his. That's the love he has. That's the love we ought to have. Verse 4. And now the groom speaks again. He says, Thou art beautiful, O my love, as Tirzah, comely as Jerusalem, terrible as an army with banners. So he says, Thou art beautiful as Tirzah. And Tirzah, it actually means my delight or favorable. But it means my delight. Jesus Christ delights in us. Something we talked about last week, that even when we mess up, even, even when we walk away, even when we don't do the things that he's called us to do, he looks out and he says, that's mine. That's my kid. That's my child. No matter what we're doing, we're his delight. He delights in us. Does that ever have an impact on any of you guys? It doesn't often enough for me, I'll tell you that much. Not that it never does. You guys ever, does that ever stop you in your tracks and just like, my Savior, the Creator, delights in me. Do you have anything you delight in? That, I mean, that brings you that kind of a joy. That's how Christ feels about you. That feeling that you're feeling, that's how he feels about you. Not what you do, not what you can do for him, that's how he feels about you, because you're his. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing, right? His delight is not in us making a public spectacle of our faith. It's not. It's just being his. And it's, it's doing righteousness, right? That brings him joy. Turn to, always keep your place in Song of Solomon, uh, but turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Isaiah 1, 9. Oh, two pages. Okay, <laughs> Isaiah 1, 9 through 17. So in this, this really touches on the, it's not about the outward show. It's not about making a spectacle. It's not about, you know, just doing the right things to somehow earn God's favor. So starting in verse 9, it says, Except the Lord of hosts had left us, uh, left unto us a very small remnant, we would have been as Sodom and should have been like unto Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah, that's key. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Why are you doing what you're doing is what he's asking right now. To what purpose is this multitude of sacrifices that you're offering to me? Right? What is the purpose of it? Saith the Lord. I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain, empty oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. 
And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. That's what he loves. Not the outward show of coming to church, tithing, whatever it may be, you know, helping people to make sure you get recognized, whatever it is, praying because it's your daily duty to pray, getting in your Bible because it's your daily duty. He doesn't care about the show. He doesn't care at all. It's about righteousness on the inside. And you notice it started with Sodom and Gomorrah, right? He's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did Jesus say in Luke 17? As it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. So these things that he's talking about, has there? can you think of a time in church history when it's been more about the show and not about the Savior than now? As it was in the days of Lot. We've got this tied right to, right to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's all about the show, not about the heart, not about true righteousness. Look, we are his delight, right? Tirzah, we're favorable unto him. And then it says Jerusalem. That's the city of, what is it? City of Peace. There's going to be more on that at the end of the lesson. It's probably my favorite part of this whole chapter is the last verse. So we're not going to touch too much on that right now, but you're my delight, Jerusalem, the city of peace. He offers peace to us. Verses 5 through 7. Verses 5 through 7. It says, Turn away. Now this again, this is the bride speaking. Turn away thine eyes from me, uh, for they have overcome me. I'm sorry, this is, this is still the groom. I got messed up. Turn away thine eyes from me, for they have overcome me. Thy hair is as a flock of goats that appear from Gilead. Thy teeth are as a flock of sheep which go up from the washing, whereof every one beareth twins, and there is not one barren among them. As a piece of pomegranate are thy temples within thy locks. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on this because we did when we were in chapter 4. So you can actually compare these verses with Song of Solomon 4, 1 through 3. And he says the same thing. So Christ repeats himself. So these are things that we should probably pay attention to. So very briefly, if you want to go back and listen to Song of Solomon chapter 4, it is also out there. But in verse 5, um, as a flock of goats that appear from Gilead, we are a well-fed and nourished flock. We are because of who our Savior is. And I can tell you that if you're coming to the First Baptist Church of Jackson, you are a well-fed and nourished flock because you get the Word of God when you come here. You don't get man's opinions. You don't get some uplifting, feel-good message that sends you out the door on your way. You get the Word of God. That is being well-fed and that is being nourished. And then in verse 6, uh, thy teeth are as a flock of sheep which go up from the washing whereof every one beareth twins there is not one barren among them so we are clean we are balanced and we are bearing fruit we're washed clean and balanced and bearing fruit with the word of God that's the only way to get there clean through the washing of the word balanced balanced counsel and then bearing fruit and then verse uh, 7, as a piece of pomegranate, are the temples within thy locks? You've got pomegranate temples. And that speaks of prosperity and provision 
in the promised land, and I alliterated on purpose. So, <laughs> prosperity and provision in the promised land. If you are interested in looking it up, you can look at Deuteronomy 8.8, 8, where it talks about pomegranates being one of the things. I mean, really, there's a lot going on in Deuteronomy 8, but this is one of the things, as they were talking about that land that flows with milk and honey, pomegranates were one of those blessings. It was one of the fruits that they were going to have in that promised land. Well, what's our promised land now? What's our promised land? Heaven. Heaven. Heaven would be the ultimate destination promised land, but practically now for us. Word of God. Word of God. Now, how does it work out, though? The promised land, you're thinking of, yeah, that provision, but then, I mean, they, they dwelt in it, though, right? They lived in it. They, they made lives in the promised land. So it, it's Christ, and it's our walk here now, right? We have the unsearchable riches. What does that mean? You can't get to the end of them. They're unsearchable. That doesn't mean you can't search them. It means you can't get to the end of them. You can never figure it all out. We have the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. That's our promised land for the here and now. Right? That's walking with him. That's, that's having that tight relationship with him that we don't ever feel like he's, he's not close. Right? That's, that's when you're in that, that tight union, that promised land where you're in him and you know it here and now. Because are there days where you don't know it, where it doesn't feel like it? I get them. I definitely get them. Where, I mean, I even ask myself, are you sure you're saved? And then I go back in my mind and I think back to when I got saved. And I'm like, yeah, I know I am. I'm just being a butthead right now. But we don't have to have that. It's through our own choices. It's through, through the things that go on inside of us. That promised land, those pomegranate temples. You see, they show up on the temples, right? Because this is where our battle is, right? In our mind. But there's prosperity and there's provision to control these things in the promised land. Verse 8. It says, There are three score queens and four score concubines and virgins without number. So we have queens, concubines, and virgins. So the queen, right? What's a queen? It's the royal wife of the king that has all the blessings of being the king's wife, right? That's the queen. I mean, she's like, she's right up there with the king. She's the royal wife. <clears throat> so the queen, that's a picture of us walking with Jesus Christ. That's that relationship where we're, we're walking with him, we're enjoying those benefits, those blessings of walking with Jesus Christ, the queen. But then we have concubines. You guys know what a concubine is. You at least know on some level what a concubine is, right? Well, when I was studying this out, I, I don't know, the definition just kind of struck me. The definition of a concubine is a wife of inferior condition. So it's still a wife. It's still a legal wife, but she's of inferior condition. So we have queens, right, walking with the Lord, that close relationship, that close fellowship. But then we have concubines. So that's a legal wife of the king with the same blessings available but that pictures us being saved and not walking with the Lord, right? The concubine, we're still a legal wife, but we're of inferior condition. We're not walking with him. We're not pursuing our relationship with him. And then we have the virgins at the end, and that's how we should live. It's obviously, that pictures our purity, right? Paul said in First or Second Corinthians that, that he wanted to present that church to the Lord as a chaste 
virgin, a pure virgin. And that's, that's our purity, the purity of, of being Christ's. We've been washed clean, right? Though our sins are as scarlet, he's made them white as snow. Separated our sin as far from us as the east is from the west. Purity, the virgin aspect. Verse 9 says, My dove, my undefiled, is but one. She is the only one of her mother. She is the choice one of her that bare her. The daughter saw her and blessed her. Yea, the queens and the concubines, they praised her. And that's because we are all unique and we all matter to Jesus Christ. We're all unique. Though we've got siblings, he looks out and he says, You're the one. You are the one. Right? Even if your siblings are saved, he feels the exact same way. We're all unique in our own way. And he loves that uniqueness. You know why? He created you. He created you with your uniqueness. Anybody here have things they don't like about themselves? My hand's going up because I feel that way about me. Right? You know Christ made you that way? Do you know Christ loves that about you? And do you know why he loves it about you? Makes you unique. It does make you unique. And every weakness that we have can be a strength, right? That's what, that's what Paul said, that he would glory in his infirmities because when he's weak, he's strong. Those things that we don't like about ourselves, whether it be that somehow it gets harnessed to be used for the glory of God, amen, God gets the glory. Or when God gets a hold of you and he gets that in check, and you don't struggle with things the way you used to, God gets the glory. And that's when we can talk to people like the bride did in chapter 5. Who's my beloved more than another beloved? Let me tell you. Let me tell you who he is. I'm a guy that was an alcoholic that walked away, didn't have another drop, and has never looked back. He just took it. That's who my beloved is. I don't know, I don't know anyone that just walks away from, from an addiction with no withdrawals, no looking back, and can just walk away from, from any other source other than Jesus Christ. I'm sure there would be someone out there that would try and argue me on it, but it's overwhelmingly possible when you come to Christ because we are unique. Though we, we share a lot of things in common, there's no two people are exactly alike. And, and he sees us that way. He says, you're the choice one of your mother. You're the only one like you, right? Because our relationship with him is personal. You know, and it's funny because he says, um, verse 9 there, the only one of her mother, she is the choice one of her that bear her. It almost makes it sound like there are siblings, doesn't it? Like, she's the only one, but then it says she's the choice one as if there were more, but this is like the one that really rises above the rest. If you're Christ's, he sees you that way. Because of all believers, there's one of you, and that's it. And if you were with us for Song of Solomon chapter 1, verse 1, right, when it talks about how she was the one, this is the one bride. And how many, how many wives did Solomon have? Just wrap it up. A thousand. Between wives and concubines, he had a thousand. And this is the one that got this song. She's one out of a thousand that got this song, literally. One out of a thousand. 
of all his wives. We want to be that for Jesus Christ, don't we? Don't we want to be that one out of a thousand that has that relationship, that he wants to write that song about us? It should be our heart's desire. It should be what we want. And if it is what we want, then we've got to ask ourselves, what are we doing about it? Verse 10. Verse 10. I like this verse a lot, too. Song of Solomon 6, verse 10. Who is she that looketh forth as the morning fair, as the moon clear, as the sun terrible, as an army with banners? Whereas the morning, the moon, the sun, and an army. Right? Whereas the morning. So what happens in the morning? We wake up. There we go. Sun comes up. So what did we just come out of? Huh? Darkness. Darkness. Night. Right? Darkness and night is over. The sun is coming up. We have light entering the world of darkness. It says that we are as the morning. Right? Because what, when we were lost, we were in darkness. And we've been brought from darkness to light. So the, the words used in the Bible. Brought from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We've been brought from darkness to light. And now we are as the morning to take that light out into a dark world. To be as the morning. Bring the light out, out into the darkness. Dispel the darkness. Bring out the light. It says we're as the morning. It says we're as the moon. Um, I think I feel like Pastor Tom just talked about the moon, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Ruined it. No. Um, <laughs> I think I have a couple of different points than, than he does. I think some of these line up. But the moon. Interesting, interesting thoughts about the moon. The moon is dead, right? The moon is not alive. There's nothing living on the moon. The moon is dead, just like us, dead in Christ, right? Crucified to this world, this world to us. Crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, right? The moon is dead. We're like the moon. The moon follows the sun, right? It's the pull of the sun that, that brings the moon with it. So the moon follows the sun. The moon has no light in and of itself, but it shines in the darkness. The moon shines in the darkness. The moon travels in opposition to the world. Right? It goes the opposite way, the way than the way the world turns. The moon is bound to the earth, just like we are for now. Right? Heavenly-minded, but earth-bound. The moon waxes and wanes, right? It grows and it shrinks, at least from our sight. It's called a waxing and a waning moon. Does our faith do that? Does our walk do that? sure does we're a lot like the moon and I know I know for sure he showed the picture of the difference between a, you know a lunar eclipse and a solar eclipse you know a lunar eclipse is when the world gets between the Sun and the moon that's a lunar eclipse the world is in the way and then a solar eclipse is when the moon gets in the way of the Sun which is another thing we have to be very very careful of that we're not scattering people away from Jesus Christ and then next we have the sun, right? We're as the sun because we should look like Christ. We should look like him, act like him, think like him, do the things he did while we're here. The sun, we're as the sun. And then as an army, which leads us into verse 11, speaking of uh, a, the, the, a battle that's going on. 
a spiritual battle that's going on. Verse 11, I went down into the garden of nuts, and we are a garden of nuts, are we not? I love that it's worded this way. The groom is like, I went down into my garden of nuts. Well, he's here. <laughs> love that it's worded that way. I went down into the garden of nuts to see the fruits of the valley and to see whether the vine flourished and the pomegranates budded. Um, so we have the fruits of the valley, right? Went down into the garden. Fruits of the valley. We produce fruit in and after life's valleys. You can go back and check out Song of Solomon chapter 2. We covered that about the how Christ is the lily of the, you guys remember? There it is. He's not the lily of the valley. He's the lily of the valleys, plural, because he's in every single one of them with us. Lily of the valleys, plural. So we produce fruit in and after Life's Valleys, you can check out Song of Solomon too. And then we bear fruit after our kind, whether it's good or bad. We're going to bear fruit after our kind. Go ahead and uh, turn to Matthew 7. Keep your place in Song of Solomon. Matthew 7, 15. So what kind of fruit are we bringing forth? Is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? You know, the options aren't, you're either bringing forth good fruit or no fruit. Those aren't the options. Is that what Jesus said? No. You're either bringing forth good fruit or evil fruit. It's one or the other. So what are we bringing forth? We're going we're gonna to bear fruit after our kind. So what kind of a life are we living? What kind of fruit are we bearing? Are we, are we bearing any fruit? Because if you feel like, you know, maybe I'm not bearing any fruit, you might have your answer. You might. Maybe there is evil fruit that's coming out. Maybe there's good fruit, and you don't know. Maybe. That's possible. If you're out doing the work, you never know. You may witness to somebody, they end up getting saved, and you never see them again. But it was because of your witness, or you were just the next person in, in that line of people that were witnessing to them, and it mattered, and then three people later they got saved. You don't know. So maybe you are bearing fruit, and you don't even know it. But you, we need to ask ourselves, are we bearing any? Are we bearing any? And is it good or is it bad fruit? You know the easiest way for me to find bad fruit that I'm producing is when I see it in my kids. <laughs> you guys notice that? Where did you learn? Oh, me. That's where you learned that. <laughs> right? So we can bring forth good or we can bring forth bad fruit. But the fruits in the valleys. Uh, verse 12 will bring us back to that spiritual warfare in Song of Solomon 6, uh, verse 12. It says, Or ever I was aware, my soul made me like the chariots of Aminadab. So this is warfare, right? We have chariots in verse 9. I'm sorry, verse 10. We saw that we were as an army. Verse 11, uh, verse 12, I'm sorry. We have the chariots of Aminadab. That's, that's a spiritual warfare. Second 2 Corinthians 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, right? Those pomegranate temples where there's that provision for us. Um, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth, exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of God. Of Christ, and then Ephesians 6 of putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to, what does it say? You guys know. 
stand, yes, stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this evil world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. There is a spiritual battle going on. And, you know, a couple years ago, we spent five or six weeks diving into spiritual warfare and really going through it. There's a battle going on. And the day you got saved, you entered a war, whether you knew it or not at the time. But it's going on. But we're in an army. And we're in an army that does not lose. It doesn't mean soldiers don't get taken out. It doesn't mean people don't go down. It doesn't mean they don't take other people with them. But the army that we're in, we win. We do. doesn't mean you're not going to get wounded. But we win. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. We got it. Sometimes it's tough, and we got to get down, and we got to keep plowing forward, right? But there is a battle that's going on, and we can't be ignorant of it. We need to know what's going on, and things get chaotic, things get crazy. But I love how this wraps it up. Coming out of this, after this, chariots of Aminadab thinking of spiritual warfare, thinking about the battle, thinking about how hard it can be. Verse 13, he calls us back and he says, return, return, O Shulamite, return, return, that we may look upon thee. What, uh, what will ye see in the Shulamite? As it were, the company of two armies. It says, return, O Shulamite. Have you guys ever, when you've heard about the Song of Solomon, have you ever heard somebody describe it as like Solomon and the Shulamite Bride? Have you heard that it's the Shulamite Bride? How many times do you think the, the word Shulamite shows up in the Bible? Once. This is it. Shulamite. It's the only time it shows up in the Bible. It was shocking to me too when I figured that out. Okay, the word shows up twice. It's in one verse. It's in one verse in the entire Bible. Sorry. It only appears in this verse shulamite and interesting it's a feminine form of solomon it's the female version form of solomon shulamite is the female form of solomon and it's related to shalom and salem so it means peace peace so he says return return o shulamite return to peace return to peace and it's coming on the heels of this battle, right? Like the chariots of Aminadab return from the battle to peace. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 29. We're going to look at, at a few verses. Psalm 29, a little bit to your left. Verse 11. Psalm 29, 11. It says, the Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. It's a blessing. Isaiah 26, 3. Anybody want to just quote it? Thou wilt keep him. Nice. I like that you guys were like totally in, in unison for the first half of it, and then half of you dropped off for the last half. That's okay. I often do that too. You memorize that first part that really hits you. But yes, that will keep him in perfect 
peace. Return, return, return to the peace. Turn to Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, will keep you. As you're giving these things to God, return to peace. Come out of the chaos. Come out of the turmoil. Return to peace. Go to Colossians 3, verse 15. Right? So that was the peace of God in Philippians 4. And then in Colossians 3.15, it says, And let the peace of God. We have the God of peace. We have the peace of God. Rule in your hearts. Uh, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. He is the God of peace. Return to peace. You know, we've been shown the way of peace. It's peace that the lost don't know. They don't know the way to peace. Right? In Isaiah, uh, I can't remember exactly which chapter and verse, but it says, There is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. There's no peace to the wicked. We have the way. And we know that righteousness leads to that peace. And as I was looking over these notes, I thought to myself, is there a more perfect time to come to a verse about peace? Our country is in complete turmoil and chaos they lack all peace right now right you've got people that feel like they don't have a voice and they're trying to speak up you've got other people that have their opinion that don't want to hear the people that want a voice and the people that want a voice they often don't actually want to hear what the other people have to say either we've got nobody's listening to each other Everybody's digging in their heels. Everybody's got their stance, right? Right now, everybody knows what they believe, and most are not willing to budge from where they stand. So it's a bunch of arguing, and then it blows up, right? We were, we were living in a powder keg anyway. We just came off of a two-and-a-half-month quarantine, lockdown. People are cooped up in their houses. They're going stir-crazy, and then some, it just took one thing it took one thing to just ignite our country, right? We've got peaceful protests, we've got riots. Then when we, we have, have all these things going on, the next, the next wave that comes in after the initial shock and reaction to it is you've got opportunists that want to come in after the fact, right? That they want to tag on to what's going on because they're not actually reacting to it. They see an opportunity. So now they're jumping in the mix too. You know what we lack? Peace. People need to just listen to each other. And we need to be sharing peace. No matter what side, you know what? This isn't, this isn't a political forum. We're not sitting in a political forum, right? This is the Bible. Did Jesus go out and just browbeat everyone and say, well, look, this is the way it is. I don't care what you think. Is that how Jesus addressed anyone ever? Other than the Pharisees, but, you know. <laughs> they had it coming. Did he ever treat sinners that way what's that he never did he never did so listen no matter what side you stand on i don't care i really don't care i don't care to talk about it frankly all the talk about it's driving me crazy we need to be listening to people and then turning it to the peace of jesus christ okay not not a political stance not a, the cops are all wrong, the cops are all right. Look, does it matter? You need the peace 
of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. Right? Jesus said, you know, that, that I'm telling you all these things because in me, you won't be offended. That's the wording that he used. You won't be offended if you're in Christ, if you're walking with Christ. So all this chaos, all this crazy, it won't matter if you're in Christ and you're sharing Jesus Christ. The pe- they have no peace. They have no hope. They don't understand. Let's think for a minute. If you were, if you were an atheist and you were raised uh, in, in school and taught from the time you were a, a younger child up into adulthood, maybe into your 30s, that you've evolved, that you're really just an animal, that you have no more value or no more worth than a pig or dog. And then things like this happen. How do you think you would react? Don't you think we would do the same thing? Maybe a lot of us, maybe we have a temperament that's like, eh, I don't want to make waves. But if you're wired more to that sort of thing, don't you think you would be doing the exact same things? These people, by and large, they don't know Jesus Christ. They need to be heard, and then they need to be pointed in a direction. And that direction is Jesus Christ. We need to return to peace. We need to be bringing people to that peace, the peace of Jesus Christ. I was almost like, it almost made me excited that this is the chapter we were on at this time in the history of our country. Because, you know, I personally stay off social media, but I hear things. And we've got believers fighting over this. We've got division in the church over political issues over political stances, over social justice stances. Who's being glorified through this? Who's being glorified through everything that's going on in our country right now? Satan, not God. The devil is loving every second of this. He's in the church splitting it up. It's insane. It's insane. We gotta be listening to each other. Listening to each other, not fighting about it, not arguing about it. I get it, everyone has a stance. You know what? I do too, and I'm trying to take in as much information as I can on both sides of this thing, not just my side, not just, oh, here's what I think would be the right thing, so I'm only going to take in and listen to people that agree with what I think. I want to hear the other side too. I've learned some serious things from listening to both sides, not one, both of them, and trying to find, because guess what? Nobody's 100% right ever, ever, when it comes to things that are subjective. Nobody's right. Nobody's 100% right. So how do we get to that place where we can actually just talk, to where we can open a door to have that avenue to ultimately share what needs shared? Not I'm right and you're wrong. Jesus Christ needs shared. He needs shared with the world. And now almost more than ever, we need peace. We need peace within our country because it's, it's getting crazy. These are the kinds of things, I mean, I think to myself pretty, like here over the past few days, I've thought, could this be like one step toward a civil war within our country? I feel like it could be because it just keeps ramping up and ramping up. And if it doesn't, things will eventually cool off and then something else is gonna happen 
and it's going to be worse than it was this time with the backlash, with the reaction. We need to be sharing peace. We need to be sharing peace with people. Because if you, if you knew Jesus Christ, if you were walking with Jesus Christ, you would know that this world and the things that go on in this world, they're so temporary. It's all going to burn and it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter in eternity. We need to be sharing peace. We need to be sharing Christ with people. So return to peace. And at the end, notice it says we're like two armies at war. We're like two armies within us. And that's because we got the flesh and we got the spirit. And how much is the flesh being, being pulled at right now through all these things that are going on? Like I said, between the quarantine, between the lockdown, and now this chaos going on in our country, boy, it's easy for the flesh to get gripped right now. We're like an army at war. We've got the flesh, but we've got the spirit of God. We can't let the flesh defeat the spirit. We've got to return to peace because that is in the spirit. You're never going to find it in the flesh, ever. So return, O Shulamite, return to the peace. And I wanted to wrap this up by asking you guys, um, times in your life, when have you found peace in the midst of your troubles, in the midst of your battles?